I'm challenging you. Ask the Lord. Uh, and if you can be helpful to come and build the local church there, all you need is Friday leave. Um, trust God and come along with us and let's be a blessing to the nation next door. Amen. Cool. We've just been in Zim. Um, the only picture I really have is Dave and Corin. Um, they're the guys that lead the base church. Um, um, so that's the couple. Some of you know them. It's amazing. We booked this weekend. Thank you. That's enough. I can't like seeing myself on that thing. But it's amazing. We booked this weekend. <laughs> you know why we moved that desk further into the corner, Brew? Because of you, Oaks. <laughs> But um, they honestly asked me to say thank you to, to you for releasing us to come. I know you were happy to, but um, we had booked that weekend, beginning of the year already, didn't know it was the weekend of elections. And so, because it's so expensive to travel, we didn't cancel, <laughs> we just went. But um, it was an amazing time. God's doing an amazing thing with the church there. You know, their economy is upside down. Um, I saw... When you go to the till, have you seen numbers like that? <laughs> Dory, Dory, it's some dollars. But still, I saw the 26,000, what, 261,000 listened properly. Um, there's a big number. Uh, we went to buy two liters of milk and it cost us 95 bucks. Uh, I mean, can you imagine that? Uh, the economy is really upside down. Um, when I walked in to pick and pay, I saw this. And this is for Jackie and Jacob. They sell Mopani worms in pick and pay. Yeah. So you should really come. Uh, but uh, Jesus is building his church. He's opening the door there for ministry. And they really appreciated us going, working into the local church. So thank you for that. Um, just on the plane, on the way back, I was thinking about what God is doing with us. And I felt this scripture come to mind in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. Um, it's, it kind of goes like this. It's, that's plain enough, isn't it? You are no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the Christian, uh, to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home and he's using us all, irrespective of how we got here in what he's building. He's used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. And we see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it a temple in which God is quite at home. I just love that portion of scripture from the Message Bible. And, and for me, it just it describes something of what God is doing with us here at City Life. Remember Peter Rasmussen, and, and I want to just make us aware of this because some of these translocal gifts have come into this local church and built into us and with us and you are building with us and God is using all of us to build a home in which his spirit dwells. Um, Peter Rasmussen said that he saw this church like a, a pebble that you throw in a pond with these circles going outward. Remember that? And he was saying how he feels that God is saying the influence and the impact of this church is going to be way beyond what we, what we think or expect. It's an amazing thing. And I think for us as a church, often many weeks, there are many of us in many different cities, many different countries in the same week um, and in many different sectors of society. And it's an amazing thing. And so we were at a leaders meeting in town um, on Thursday night. Some of you actually were in that circle. And one of the guys, Lufefe from Glenridge, who doesn't really know us. I've met him once in, in Joburg and we... we stay together in a house, but he doesn't know the church. He came and he said, I feel like God has this prophetic word for you. And um, he said, I saw this very thick tree, strong, healthy, but the roots just spreading out everywhere. And I feel like God's saying, your influence is going to keep on 
growing and spreading. How's that? And so we're all um, just amazed at what God is doing and what God is saying. And I think it's important for us to take note of what it is that God is saying. We've been preaching about a Joshua season and taking the ground and the inheritance that God has called for us. We must live like there's a plan. As a local church, we must make our decisions as if something of that plan depends on the way that I make my decisions. Richard and Zelda walked in here and his comment was, it's, it, it feels like this place is going to be too small. And so I'm just making you aware of what God has been saying to us and what that means for us and how we should live if that is what God is saying to us. I'm asking you uh, those three things that I've asked you in the beginning of the year. Number one, make sure you live in the freedom that Christ has set us free from. We're not here to please people. We're not here to we're here to please Jesus. It's for freedom that he set us free. We're not under pressure. We're not, we're not performing, but we're here to please him. And he has a plan. Secondly, um, I asked you to be consistent. And I said if you're being consistently inconsistent, that doesn't count. <laughs> be consistent in a good way. Whatever you do. In your local church, in your relationship with Jesus, in whatever you do, be consistent. And thirdly, keep rejoicing in the salvation that we have. You know, there are people in our city right now, they don't have an assurance of their eternity. They have no idea. And as things go up, they go up. And as things go down, they go down. And we're, we're I mean, forever and ever and ever, my righteousness before God is settled, done. Through the work of Christ on the cross. Nothing can change that, ever. That's an assurance that we have. And so, we've asked you to wear happy socks. And you might think it's just for spring. But like everything we do here, we're a little bit more intentional about it. Here's an idea. Often we wear socks. They are unseen. But they bring comfort and warmth and protection. And they put up with a lot of smells <laughs> for some of you i'm thinking but they bring comfort but they're often unseen and i was just thinking like you know it's a little bit like our faith what our youngsters have done with the things that are kind of unseen is made them fashionable again you'll often see sia and these guys wearing socks sadly with crocs <laughs> or slops and the socks almost becomes the fashion. And I was just thinking, like, you know, we've been in a season where sharing your faith in Jesus is almost not fashionable. It's very unpopular. Uh, you'll know the environments I'm talking about at school and everything. But somehow we've got to make, uh, uh, for us, our faith is internal. You know what I mean? We go day to day, wherever we go. And that faith brings a comfort. It brings a protection. It brings a, a warmth. It brings that smile and that kindness. All of that that you do at work, at home, in your family comes from a deep faith in, in Jesus. And we just feel like it's a season for us to make it fashionable again, to be bold about your faith. And talk about what is it that gives you that joy and, and gives you that consistency. And so the fact that we're wearing socks on the outside is really just to encourage you and me to be a bit more bold about our faith and sharing what we believe in Jesus. Does that make sense? And so we're going to ask you to, for the whole month of September, to wear your happy socks as much as you can. And if someone asks... Especially for someone like Leo. Just come up here for a second, bro. I mean, this is in support of Northwood School. But surely someone's got to ask questions if you wear socks like this, right? But if someone asks you about the socks, why don't you just say, hey, this is what we're doing. We're talking about uh, being bold about our faith in Jesus. Take it as an opportunity to share your faith with other people. Thank you, Leo. That's enough. We're going to show the world that it's actually way cooler to, to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to talk about Jesus, to make much of Jesus, to reflect Jesus, to, to live life with Jesus. We're going to make that fashionable again. Um, we're going to do um, City Lifers selfies with happy socks. There's a hashtag. We encourage you to take selfies with your socks. 
send them to Ancilla. Um, and then we've got also a Happy Socks mystery person. If you think you know who these belong to, um, Ancilla's going to send you these details. There's prizes to be won. And so we, the, the whole reason we're doing this is because we want to create awareness. Um, what we're also going to do is put a whole lot of signs and banners and boards like this all over the community. You're going to see it. Thank you, Arnold. No. <laughs> We're going to do this. And it's just to help you and me. I know it's a little bit like it's just to poke some interest in people, to say to them, actually, church is where you belong. It's not where you perform. It's not where you, but church is where you belong. And if you're not a, part of a community, <laughs> you need to be. Okay, and um, again, this is for us just in the next while we're going to preach on who you are. You are Christ's ambassadors next week. We're going to have Craig and Colette with us in two weeks time. Um, on the 24th, we're getting some people with some radical stories of how God has stepped into their life, coming and telling their story. And it's going to be like just you are part of his story. You get it? And so I tell you what's happening here at City Life. It's becoming harder and harder. It really is. It's becoming so challenging not to bring someone and not to invite someone. I mean, you get free socks, free coffee, free smiles. And so we're challenging you. Begin to talk a little bit more about your faith in Jesus. Not raving about the church, raving about Jesus. We're trusting God for us to just become a little bit more bold and aware again that actually without people hearing the good news, there's no ways they're going to get saved. Is that okay? Are you on board? Are you with it? Show us those wonderful socks you've got, Leith. If you don't have socks, actually just put up your hand now if you don't have socks and Leith will go. There's a whole bag of them. There we go. Put your socks on. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the incredible privilege we have that we're included in your plan. No matter how we got here, no matter how we got in, somehow, Jesus, we're part of your plan. We lay down our lives before you again because you laid down your life for us. We do it not to pay you back, but to worship you. We offer our bodies a living sacrifice and say, Lord, do whatever you want to do with our lives. Wherever you want to build us in, wherever you want to fit us in, we know, Lord, that you want to show your glory to the world around us. And we make ourselves available to you again today in Jesus' name. As we look at your word, will you encourage us? Holy Spirit, will you speak to us beyond what I can communicate? Will you impart, Holy Spirit, faith, courage, revelation of who Jesus is and how to walk with you? I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Today's simple message, just to encourage you, it's called Sowing the Seed. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, which I know you probably just, you got your iPad or your iPhone, I'm going to read um, the parable Jesus spoke about, and I'm going to use Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 8, and Matthew 13. It's the same parable, and just pick out from those chapters. You can go and read it um, for yourself. The first verse in Matthew chapter 13, verse 1, it says that same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. Now, um, it's important whenever you read the scriptures to read it in its context so that you don't um, try and make it say what you want it to say. It's saying something in itself. And uh, what I love about this verse is that Jesus went out the house. It's good to get out the house. Amen. Turn to your friend and say, you've got to get out the house. Um, <laughs> and I want you to note the way that um, the gospel writers record the story is really the posture of Jesus. It's amazing. He, he went out of the house and he went and he sat down by the lake. For me, sitting is a, is a posture of relaxed, resting um, he's not striving, he's not standing, he's not running, he's not walking, he's sitting. It's an amazing posture. 
If you think of what he was doing and you read the chapter before in Matthew 12, you see that he was going around in Galilee from, from one small village to another. And then if you look at Luke um, chapter 8, you read what he was doing. And I'll, I'll read it for you. Verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus traveled through or traveled about from one town and village to another. And what he was doing was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what he was doing. He was, he was spreading a message. And he was proclaiming. The word proclaiming is announcing the good news. Um, and I want you to notice that news is not something that we create. News is something you report on. And these days, it's hard to find accurate reporting, but, but what he was doing is reporting on an event that's already happened, and it was good news. And then you see, who was traveling with him? Here we go. The 12 were traveling with him. Who were the 12? Well, there was one dodgy guy that worked for SARS, a corrupt guy, and he was with him. The other guy was from ISIS, which was the zealots, the radical, there was a radical group, something like ISIS of those days. The other guy was uh, a fisherman. I don't know if you've seen fishermen. Sullivan's a uh, claims to be, but I don't know. You're not. You don't look. Anyway, you and Ravi don't look like fishermen, but you keep telling me you are. But anyway, fishermen. Um, I mean, there were twelve. Can you imagine Jesus going around from village to village? And then look at the woman. It says here in verse two, and also some woman who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. I mean, would you? It's like it's what she's remembered for, that she had seven demons and they came out of her. And she's cruising around with Jesus. And then Johanna, the wife of Chusa. I don't know how, what kind of a Chusa he was, but he chose <laughs> Johanna. And he, he was the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many other. And, and all of them were women who had demons cast out of them. And it says that those women were helping to support them out of their own means. What a phenomenal team. Jesus and the twelve and the woman, and they're funding this mission out of their pockets. And what Jesus was doing was going from village to village, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And I'm, I'm coming back to why he left the house. Because sometimes we like to just stay in the house. It's nice in the house. Okay. So Jesus was traveling around with his team, ministry team. And obviously, I don't know how the funding was working, but if you read Matthew chapter 12, his disciples were hungry and they were walking through the fields. So I don't know, the funding must have been like maybe not so good that day. And they're walking through the grain fields and they were picking the grain. And as they were, so, so you, you see what Jesus was doing. They're on a mission with his team. He's proclaiming. And... The disciples pick the grain and suddenly people start to criticize them. Oh, well, your guys are, your disciples are picking grain on the Sabbath. Remember that? And they were throwing all these accusations at Jesus. So then, I mean, he deals with that. They end up on the same day going into the synagogue. And as he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, there's a man with a shriveled up hand. And, and he gets healed. How? Because it's the good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus is preaching. And as he gets healed, oh, there's people who are saying like, you healed him on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Can you believe it? And they start finding fault with Jesus and his team and what they're doing. And so um, he goes from there and there's a man who was demon possessed. He's blind and he's mute. Now you think you got problems. Can't see, can't hear because he's possessed by a demon. And Jesus proclaims the good news of the kingdom of God. And the man's eyes are opened. And his ears are opened. What a miracle. And the people around him come to him and say, You know what? It's by the chief of the demons, Beelzebub, that you're casting out these demons. You're not for real, bro. It's amazing, eh? You would think, they would think like, man... The guy was blind, the guy was deaf. They were just saying, like, thank you, God, for this miracle. But no, there's always opposition to proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what I'm saying. 
And when people are scrutinizing you and criticizing you, it's easy to just stay at home. You've got DSTV, you've got tea. I don't know what you drink. Yeah, is that it? <laughs> but Jesus says, you know what? I will take whoever's willing to come and I'm going to get out of the house and I'm going to make myself available again to the world around me. And I'm not going to strive with the gospel. I'm going to be in a position where I'm at rest, but I'm going to proclaim the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to keep sowing the seed. Are you there? I mean, that's not the last thing that happens. They start saying, give us a sign. I mean, he's just cast out a demon. The guy's just eyes open. They say, like, oh, bro, you, you Christians want to tell us about Jesus? Give us a sign. Yes, but what about that? No, but that doesn't count. You know what I mean? Like, that's what you get when you try and share the good news of the kingdom of God. And then they say to him, oh, your mother and your brothers are here to speak to you. Can you imagine the demands on Jesus? Family, your mothers, your brothers, the people are criticizing you. The religious people are putting pressure on you. People are asking for signs. What does he do? He gets out of the house. He goes, sits by the lake. I love it. Are you still getting out the house? And so verse 2, that's verse 1, Matthew 13. He got out of the house and he sat by the lake. And then in verse 13, such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it. And all the people stood on the shore. Again, look at Jesus' position, his posture. Suddenly the demands that come from proclaiming good news. How many of you know we only hear bad news? Interest rates gone up 10 times and I don't know what. Forgotten to count. Uh, you should go to Zim. When we landed in Zim, <laughs> uh, we had a problem with wheels. The radiator had gone and whatnot, so there we stayed in the house that wasn't really the people's house. They were borrowing the house because they were out of the house where they were staying. And um, so there were these two Corollas, I think it's a 1997 models, um, two of them. So I'm driving the one on the way to the church building, and as I push the brakes, there's not much stopping us. And uh, the ladies in the back are saying, this thing is jumping of it. Pads had come off the shoes, and so we go back, strip the other Corolla. That's what we go and do in Zim, right? Take the shoes from that one, put it in that one, change the drum, etc., etc. There's not much good news. But when you speak the good news of the kingdom of God, people listen. And somehow there's suddenly this crowd of people around Jesus. And what I love about Jesus is like he knows how to set healthy boundaries. He's not saying like, you know what, to preach the gospel must kill you. No, he, he preserves his life and he's still relaxed and he's still sitting down. He just gets in a boat. It's quite cool. He's amazing. It's a phenomenal way of how Jesus is saying like, you know what, to preach this gospel doesn't have to kill you. You don't have to meet the demands of the people. The job we have is to keep sowing the seed. Keep getting out and telling people the good news of the kingdom. What he was saying was, I'm reporting on a fact that God has sent his son so that your sins will not be counted against you. And because he died, he rose again. And because he rose again, your sins are forgiven and you've been empowered by God to be part of his kingdom. Reporting on the fact. You're doing all right, man. Am I intense? I'll just come from Zim. Yeah. Did you show them the, um, did I put the one on about, no. I tried to buy one of those little meringues. It was like $39,999 for one meringue. Sullivan would have cried. So verse 3. Turn to your friend and say, get out the house. Not like, but say it in a nice way, man. <laughs> Not like I didn't mean it like that. I mean, keep getting out of the house. You know what I mean? Sometimes as Christians, we can get so comfortable. You've forgotten what it's like to tell someone about Jesus. 
And it's because people scrutinize you, people judge you, people ask you for a sign, people are pressing you, and so you just stay in the house and you're drinking tea. I'm telling you it's time to get out of the house again. And you might say like, yeah, but that's going to kill me. It's going to destroy me. I'm saying like, no, look at how Jesus did it. He stays seated on a boat. He's not excited. He's not striving. It's not his own effort and energy. It's the power is in the message. It's amazing. It's in the foolishness of the gospel that the power of God for the salvation of man is, is, is released. There's power in the message of the cross. That's where the power lies. It's foolishness to the world. But for us who are being saved, it's the power of God for our salvation. So verse 3, then he told them many things in parables. And he said, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Often Jesus would do this in the Gospels. He would demonstrate something. He would just do it. And then he would teach about it. Remember when he was healing the blind man. And then he talks about uh, uh, God opening our eyes to the Gospels. He, he multiplies the bread. Then he says, look out for the um, sourdough. What was it? Unleavened bread. Thank you, Jacob. Of the Pharisees. He's, he's, you know what I love about Jesus? He doesn't explain first. He just steps in and does. And then sometimes he's explaining. So what he's doing here is he's saying, you see what I've been doing? Because um, he goes on in verse 4 and he says, As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path. See, he's teaching about this now. Because I can imagine his team saying like, Yo, it doesn't look like it's been going so well. We're getting criticized all the time. We're getting tested all the time. What's, and so he's saying, um, as he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. I like the way that Matthew puts it because the, the, the Greek word literally means squeezes the life out of the plant. It's the only thing Jesus ever said that can, can stop the word, choke the word. It's the worries and the cares of this life. We'll get to that in a minute. Verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred Sixty or thirty times what was sown. It's amazing. Whenever you sow a seed, it produces more seed. That's an amazing thing. And verse 9, whoever has ears, let him hear. So, of course, the team was there and they were like, okay, great. But they didn't really understand what he meant. And then we see that when they were alone, they asked him about the parable. And you can see that in Mark chapter 4. We'll just switch gospels there when he was alone the 12 and the others came and asked him about the parables and he answers them in verse 13 jesus said to him that uh, to them don't you understand this parable how will you understand any parable the farmer sows the word the farmer sows the word some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. But when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what is sown. What an amazing parable Jesus is teaching his crew and his team what he's been doing over this last while and um, the first thing I realize here is that the work of the farmer is to sow 
the seed. The work of the farmer is to sow the seed. Um, the farmer is like, for me, is the church. Without the farmers, there'll be no harvest. Can you imagine? Now, I know when we, we live in a city, right? So we don't, we don't really understand this concept. But if our farmers had to just one year decide not to sow, it would completely mess up our economy. It would completely mess up our social system. It will, it will mess up everything when if farmers just decide not to sow. And you know, the church, this is what Jesus is teaching his team because he's sitting down with his team and he's saying, sure, I'm speaking to outside people, but they don't understand. You have the secrets of the kingdom. And he says, what you're going to understand here is that the farmer's job is to go and to sow the seed. No matter what is going on with the people, the job of the farmers is to sow the seed. Without someone sowing seed, you and I would not be here today. The job of the farmer is to sow the seed. So we've got to get out of the house. And yes, we've got to do it with, in, a, in, a, in a, not in striving, but we've got to sow the seed. 1 Corinthians 3 um, verse 6, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God makes it grow. Um, I think we've got to understand that there's a responsibility on us as the people of God, to sow the seed. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2 says that it is required that those that have been given a trust must prove faithful. I'm challenging you. Are you still sowing seed? 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10, it says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. If you're waiting for the seed to increase, it's not increasing until you sow it. You've got to sow it, and he increases your seed. The second thing I realize from what Jesus is saying here is that the seed is the word. The seed is the word. The seed is the good news of the kingdom of God. The seed is the word. And so again, we're not meant to be sowing confusion. We're not meant to be sowing our opinions. We're not meant to be sowing our, what we think is trending or is popular. We're supposed to sow seed. And the seed here is the word of God. It's the, it's the message of the kingdom of God. It's what Jesus was sharing. And again, I'm asking you, um, you see that in Luke chapter 8. He says it straight in verse 11. The meaning of the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. You know, in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says, and the Word became flesh. God's Word becomes flesh in your life and my life, wherever He puts us. It's not an intellectual word. It's, not, it's, it's a living word of Jesus in my life. It's a word of the good news of the kingdom of God and what he's done in my life. Are you there? Or are you in the house drinking tea? It's our responsibility. We've been entrusted. If we don't sow, there will never be a harvest. It is ridiculous to expect Something to grow except weeds, you know that, unless you plant. We have this massive, um, I think it's a wild fig tree in the back of our yards. Had, had, we had to have it cut down, guys had chainsaws, and you know how they do it, and a couple of tons of this stuff. All of that came from one seed. One. Everything that that tree... Everything it, uh, explain for yourself in your own head. <laughs> it's all in the seed. It's all there in that seed. You get it? It's like Ugwe said in Kung Fu Panda. You might want it to be an orange tree. You remember that scene? But it'll be a peach. So what seed you sow is what will bring the harvest. That's my point. And Jesus said it better, or the Word of God says it better than I can say it. 1 Corinthians 15, 37. 
when you sow, you do not plant the body that it will be just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else, but God gives it a body as he has determined, and each kind of seed, he gives its own body. You cannot expect a life to change if you don't sow the seed of the word of God. The gospel is what produces Christ in us. Not a program, not a system, not a person. The seed of the gospel. It's funny how we expect gospel results, but we're not sowing gospel seeds. It's the farmer's responsibility to sow seed. 1 Peter 1 verse 23, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. You know the seed of the gospel is imperishable. You sow it and it's there. It's living. It's enduring. It can produce. It's the only thing that can produce Christ in a fallen sinful man. The seed of the gospel. 1 John 3 verse 9 tells us how the gospel just deals with sin. 1 John 3 9, no one who's born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. It doesn't mean you're suddenly perfect. It just means like that seed that's planted in you begins to grow. And now your life, like as it grows, whatever you, you used to do, I remember, I mean, I used to, um, I used to drink a lot. I got saved radically. My friend and I, I got saved last Friday, uh, the last week Friday. That Saturday we were like, I didn't know about this born again thing or anything. I didn't know nothing. But the Spirit of God came into my spirit and made me alive. The seed came in and something began to grow inside of me. And Saturday as my mate and our school kids went out to, uh, I'm not going to tell you details, but his dad had a bottle store and this stuff happened. As we ended up there, I just like, what am I doing? Can't do this. Trash. In a week, the seed of the gospel, without lectures, without series, without the seed of the gospel changed something in my life. You know how hard it is to do it without the gospel? Impossible. So I'm just saying, the seed of the gospel is our responsibility. Are you okay? And then, of course, it tells us, Jesus is saying that, as you go scatter the seed, some seed will fall on the path. And um, uh, he's actually, the way Mark, the Gospel of Mark explains that some people are like this. You sow the seed, it's the same seed, but they, they, um, it falls on the path. In other words, like as soon as it comes, the devil takes it away. Now, that teaches me two things. Number one, I must make sure that when God's word comes to me, that the devil doesn't snatch it away. But two, it also helps me to understand. That's why we pray. That's why we trust God. That's why we advance against the kingdom of God. Because sometimes even when we sow the seed, there's a possibility of it not making a change because the enemy is working against that seed. Be aware of that. The second group, are, 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 again, it says, and there are people where the seed fell on rocky places, right? So they don't have root, and because of trouble and persecution, they fall away. And so, again, in my own life, we mustn't just be hearers of the word. We must be doers. We must allow it to take root. But also, we don't stop sowing the seed just because some people do that and then they do that we shouldn't stop sowing the seed the message this morning is the farmer goes out to sow the seed and that's what jesus is saying to his team of ladies who got delivered from demons and his 12 motley crew our job the job of the church however we got here we got to sow the seed doing all right some fell among the thorns, and I like the way Luke says it. They received the word, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of riches. Think about that. People think that money will solve problems. Money on its own can't solve the problem that we have as humanity. There's a deception there. I know we need money. I know all that. I understand all that. 
but money is not God. When you make money God and money is the solution and money is the answer, there's a deceit that comes in and it will always choke the word of God. It chokes the gospel, the worries, the cares of this life. And then it says here, um, Luke says they don't mature. The seed doesn't mature. It's an amazing thing. A seed can germinate, but then you suddenly look around you and you're like, Yo, hey, the kingdom of God and Jesus and my life belongs to him, but hey, there's this thing and this thing and that thing and that thing. And suddenly you see people who are born again believers, but completely immature, consumed only with themselves. For me, a big definition of immaturity is self-centeredness. I'm sorry, and my kids taught me that. They helped me understand that. And I'm sure I helped my parents understand that. But when I'm so consumed, everything, even right now, if you're listening, you're saying, like, I'm just thinking of how this affects me, 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 me. Don't be too consumed about yourself. We're farmers. Amen? I'm not going to talk like, Amen, like I'm a farmer. Amen. <laughs> Yeah, all right, that's enough now. <laughs> but we're farmers of a different kind. And if we don't go out and sow the seed, we can never expect a harvest. Amen? Good soil represents good hearts. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 15. It says, but the seed on good soil stands for those Jared, were you being Angus there? You, were quite, you did quite well. I didn't realize. <laughs> but the seed on good soil stands, with, stands for those with a noble and a good heart who hear the word of God, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. The message says the seed in good earth, these are the good hearts who cease the word of God, hold on to it no matter what, sticking with it until... There's a harvest. Super cool. It has to do with your heart and how you respond to the word of God, whether it produces um, a harvest or not. It's amazing um, as we've traveled and I'm, I'm done. Colossians 1, six says, all over this world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. I was thinking about this and I think like, you know what we are? We're like fruit and veg city. Right? You walk down the aisles and you see. <laughs> bananas, apples. I know what fruit you want to be. We're the result together of the gospel. And you know what? There are people like us. You go to Zim, they're there. You go to Pretoria, they're there. You go to Lesotho, they're there. We went to the UK, they're there. Everywhere, fruit and veg city. The result of the gospel. No matter the culture, no matter the language, no matter the geography, no matter the political situation, this gospel bears fruit and grows all over the world. <laughs> the message of the gospel produces change in millions of lives it's not the brand of the church it's not the pastors it's not it's the gospel seed that produces change and the reason we hear is so that people can walk in and see this community serving loving caring worshiping jesus is possible what you need is the gospel seed Colossians says, just as it, has, it be, has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood it in all its grace. Uh, have you understood God's grace in all of its truth? My last comment. We are his farmers. We've got to get out of the house and sow the seed. It's amazing in Luke, Luke chapter 8, Jesus presses straight on after that explanation and he says this in verse 16, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under the bed. 
Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. It's amazing. He's talking about the sower. He's talking about that parable. If you don't understand that parable, you won't understand anything else. What he's saying is this. We are the farmers and God has given us the seed. And he's putting us on a lampstand. Get out from under the bed. Get out of the house. Now, if you teenagers don't misinterpret me. Let's stand together. I don't know, maybe uh, you've been criticized, maybe you've been scrutinized, maybe you've been judged by people for your faith, or I don't know what it is. We're not going to hide in the house. God's put us on a lampstand. And we're not perfect, but we have the gospel seat. And because of Jesus and what he's done, our eternity is settled forever. And that hope is the hope we want to transfer to the world around us. Maybe it's time for, you know, for us to be intentional as farmers. Farmers get up early. They read the season. They know what to plant when. You know, they don't actually make it grow. <laughs> it's, it's a weird thing. The life is in that seed. All you've got to do is plant it. And they plant it and it grows. They water and it grows. It's not, they don't make it grow. God makes it grow. All they do is they plant it and they know. You water it, it's going to produce a harvest. It's going to produce a harvest. And maybe we've lost a bit of faith. These days they're continually trying to uh, genetically modify the seeds. The seed of the gospel. No matter the, the hardest Drought, ground, this gospel bears fruit. I remember in, uh, we were chatting the other day again about my friend in the army who I thought this man, I don't know if he's savable. God saved him radically. It was a rebuke for me. Not because, like, you know, of him, but because I, I began to doubt the power of the gospel. You try and look for a different gospel. You try and look for another way. No, that gospel is it. That foolish message of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dying on the cross for my sins so that I may be forgiven and eternally adopted into his family and, and part of his kingdom for all eternity. That's the gospel that has the power to save. Let's close our eyes for a moment. If you haven't received the gospel, and today you need to do that. I'm asking you boldly, put your hand up now and say, yes, I need Jesus. I've never received the seed into my life. Just put your hand up. Thank you, sir. Put your hand down again. Anyone else? It's as simple as opening your heart and the swell of your heart to allow that seed to come in and be fruitful. judgment, you took my punishment, you took my sin once, forever as Karen said this morning forever I receive it and from that seed everything else grows I receive it I repent of my sin I put my faith in Jesus and I ask you to come into my heart, come into my life Make me new from the inside out, Lord. In Jesus' name. And for the rest of us, God is turning up the heat a little bit. Not condemning, not most times, you know, when you when you listen to evangelism and all this, you feel like guilty for not doing it. No, Jesus was sitting down by the lake. He was sitting down in the boat in the same posture we have, not striving, not trying. 
don't know, but maybe we can just lift our hands like this if you serve Jesus, just in a, in a, in a position of saying, Lord, I receive that seed into my life. I receive, I, I, as a farmer, I put on that bag of seed. And Lord, I ask you to help me again. Chapter 4 it says that the Holy Spirit filled them and they preached the word of God boldly. We need your Holy Spirit, it's not in the flesh. You know the opportunities, you know the timing, you know how much we need to pray, you know when to speak and when not to speak, when to just love, when to care. But Lord, fill our bags with seed this morning. I pray. We come with a willingness to say, we we're prepared to get out of our comfort zone a little bit again and just begin to scatter the seed, Lord. Just, faith is not in us and how well we plant. It's just, we're just going to keep scattering. No matter the results, we believe you've given us the gospel and time for us to start farming in Jesus' name. Give us boldness, Lord. Those friends, those colleagues, Give us the wisdom as to when and how, but we, we ask, even as we wear these socks as a declaration, Lord, we, we want to be bold and outrageous again. Make it fashionable to talk about Jesus and what He's done and bring glory to Him and put attention on Him in every conversation, in every place we go. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, man. Bless you. Here's the cool thing. Every person you bring, every guest you bring will get a, a pair of socks. They're really cool socks. But more than that, they'll get an opportunity for the seed of the Word of God. So please stay. Have a cappuccino. If you came without socks, come and get your socks from Leith. We, um, we have some extra ones. And then please check your Facebook and WhatsApp and all that. If we've got your details, you will hear about the selfies with socks. And the hashtag and also the mystery socks person. <laughs>